If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You may know Jackson Pollock, the painter famous for his iconic drip paintings. But what do you know about his wife, artist Lee Krasner? On Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock, the story of the artist who reset the market for American abstract painting, just maybe not the one you're thinking of. Listen to Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Newt. Due to the virus, I'm recording from home, so you may notice a difference in audio quality. On this episode of Newt's World, I'm talking to somebody who you've probably seen having breakfast somewhere in America. Pete Hexup has made a tradition out of crisscrossing the country for Fox and Friends, sitting down at breakfast and listening to Americans tell them what they're thinking about and what they care about. And in his new book, he really explores where we're at as a country and the whole concept of American crusade is to lay out for us why this is such an important fight do it in a way that has the same kind of insights, politically incorrect candor and humor that has made his television show one of the most highly rated in America. I got to know Pete years ago when he was out there courageously fighting for veterans and doing all he could to reform the Veterans Administration. I've always enjoyed working with him, and I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, Pete Hexa, author of American Crusade, Our Fight to Stay Free. Let me just say that it's a personal thrill to me to have Pete Hexeth on today. I've known him back when he was fighting so hard for veterans, and he was one of the key people in beginning to reform the Veterans Administration, showed enormous courage. All of us who watch Fox and Friends have been at breakfast with Pete around the country, and he's got a great new book out called American Crusade, Our Fight to Stay Free, which we're going to spend time on because it fits so perfectly with Memorial Day and with what all of us are concerned about as patriots. But I really want to start by asking Pete about his childhood. How did he grow up? Pete, why did you end up becoming such a deeply committed patriot? 
Well, Mr. Speaker, thank you so much for having me. As you know, I'm a huge fan. You have charted the course for all of us. I've learned immense amounts from you and your leadership and your books and the things you fought for, the way you've been outside the box on so many things for so long. So thank you so much for everything you continue to do. And it's an absolute honor to be here. I would say my parents didn't raise me in any sort of overtly political household at all. But when I look back, I realize I was an absolute child of privilege, even though I grew up in a very middle-class town in the middle of suburban Minnesota, because I had parents who loved me and invested in me. They taught me how to work hard. They taught me to love our country and what we have in simple ways, not in big patriotic tones, just, hey, appreciate it. Here you can achieve anything if you work hard. Faith was a part of every part of our lives, reading the Bible, prayer, going to church, and then a strong community reverence for veterans. It's the Memorial Day Parade, Newt, that actually has burned the most in my mind. And we used to go to Wanamingo, Minnesota. It's a small farming town, population, nothing, with a big, wide main street and the parade. It's mostly tractors. The vets would walk down the street. And I'll never forget it was still some World War II vets, Korean War vets, Vietnam vets. The Gulf War guys were back, so their uniforms still fit. But the reverence the town had, the standing ovation, the cheering, the flags waving, the salutes, it left an imprint on me. That's why I think civic ritual is so important for kids to see time and time again, you know, what we revere is a reflection of what we value. And in that moment, those ceremonies had a huge impact on me. The parade ended at Memorial Park where we memorialized the people who were no longer there and given their life. And this small sliver of Minnesota is reflective of the sacrifice at the altar of freedom that so many people have had to make. So that was kind of burned into me. And I just knew that I wanted to serve at some level. I almost went to West Point. Instead, I went to Princeton because I cared a lot more about basketball than anything else. But I had an ROTC program and I signed up and did it. Best decision I ever made. And 9-11 happened right after I signed up. So it was the ultimate validator. And I went on to serve tours in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, guarding inmates there in 2004. And then I was in Iraq from 2005 to 2006 as an infantry platoon leader. And that's when I got involved in advocacy after that, because I felt like the warfighters were being ignored and our mission was off, that we could still be successful. And that was right before the surge. So I found myself on Capitol Hill never having met a senator in my life, meeting with them regularly, trying to find a way to inform the public on what was really happening on the ground. I did another tour in Afghanistan and ultimately ran a group called Concerned Vets for America, where, Mr. Speaker, we worked together on trying to reform the VA. And I think when you go into the battlefield and you come home, you start to realize how petty so many of the things we fight about are, but also how consequential the big things really are. And that's why I wrote my first book. And then I've got the next one coming out now. When you realize what we're up against, you realize how much we have to fortify ourselves as patriots to preserve what we have. Like that Memorial Day parade in Wanamingo, Minnesota is a special thing. If people aren't willing to fight for what we have and then we don't teach the next generation, we can and will lose it. And history shows us that republics are prone to that if citizens are not vigilant. I grew up just like anybody else in a nowhere town. My dad was a gym teacher and a high school basketball coach, and my mom stayed at home. And I'm grateful for the basic ingredients that they gave me. And the rest of it, Newt, is being mugged by reality of the world and of evil and of what it takes for free citizens to stay free. Okay, I can't resist this, but before we move on to the larger public policy things, did you play guard? I did. I played point guard. 
I sort of thought that must have been your role. I know you well enough to know it was unlikely you were playing center. <laughs> you know, it's true. I was a point guard. I was trying to the coach on the court, although I didn't play that much in college. I spent four years mostly on the bench, but it was a huge learning exercise in humility, in hard work, in teamwork. I'm dooming my kids to the same fate, Newt. I'm a short, slow, white guy who can barely jump, yet I choose basketball, and I got my kids playing it now, too. But I love the sport. I love the teamwork side of it. And yeah, I like to control the court when I'm out there. When you look back on active duty, and people should know that you earned two bronze stars, which is no mean achievement. So you were in the thick of things on occasion. What really strikes you in retrospect? What were the biggest surprises during your period on active duty? I guess the biggest surprise for me was the limitations we put on ourselves in waging war. And I realized it then, I realized it even more so in hindsight. It's why I've been an advocate for a lot of the guys who were, I believe, unjustly prosecuted, especially under the Obama rules of engagement, and who went out there to do a job and political correctness that flooded into the military has put our own men and women on the defense. We have all these rules. We wear uniforms. We have chain of command. We have rules of engagement. We're accountable to the American people ultimately. And we fight enemies who have none of those rules, are utterly vicious. They have a very coherent worldview that is extremely radical. And we ended up fighting time and time again, the same people. We called it kind of jokingly, the Iraqi catch and release program. But we would quite literally arrest people or capture them in the middle of the night. And because we were not able to conduct a CSI level investigation with fingerprints and firsthand accounts, three days later, those people were released back into the very same neighborhoods, now able to be predators against the very people who had turned them in in the first place. And it's immensely counterproductive. It makes our relationships with Iraqis or whoever we're working with, same thing in Afghanistan, very tenuous. There's streets of gold and McDonald's on every corner and the American military can do anything. We can see you from a drone a million miles away in a satellite. What do you mean you're going to release this guy tomorrow? I gave you the information. And you would watch people beg and cry in front of you for the future of their kids and their family, the risk they took to help you. And then because of our bureaucratic process and our inability to wage real total war, we ultimately would release these guys. So I started to realize our enemies have figured out our vulnerabilities. And with one-year tours and rotations, they take advantage of our goodness. It doesn't mean we stop being good. It means we have a decision to make. We either stay for 100 years and decide to remake an entire society, which is not tenable in an elected republic, or we really wage war in a way in which we utterly destroy our enemy and make it clear where we have no tolerance for the type of barbarism that they exhibit. Unfortunately, because we did neither, these wars went on and on and on. Getting inside the mind of a warfighter is helpful now, especially as I get a chance to be a humble voice for them on national television to get people to understand the job they have and how much more complicated we make it for them. The top level of it, Newt, is how wonderful these people are. They're the best of the best. They leave their families to go do this in places where they may never come back from. And without these people, we have nothing. And there are threats we need to stare down. We're going to need men and women like that in the future. And I hope and pray we do right by them. 
So when you came back and you went up to Capitol Hill, what was the biggest surprise to you dealing with members of the House and Senate? One was the surprise of the courage that did exist, that there were advocates then. And at that moment in the surge, that was your Lindsey Graham's and your John McCain's and your Joe Lieberman's and people who were willing to be forward leaning for a, a war that was deemed unpopular for a strategy that wasn't working. And they wanted to hear from the guys on the ground. I was a nobody. I was a first lieutenant. And I was there with a bunch of sergeants and staff sergeants and captains. And we were ushered into the chambers of power and listened to. And that was an amazing experience for me as a regular Joe Blow citizen to realize that at the right moment with the right set of experiences, you can go in and talk to the most powerful people in the country and they might listen and it might have an impact on the overall discussion for the country. So I was heartened that it was so accessible for something that was that important. But the other thing I learned was how cynically partisan the entire exercise can and does become. And you either sort of bemoan the partisanship or you have to fight back in a way that makes the case you have. It was amazing how quickly doors are closed just because you may be perceived to be on one side of the aisle or the other. Even when it comes to something like war and peace, which you'd think you would want to hear the truth of what's happening on the ground. When you looked at that experience, you then went on to really provide great leadership for veterans. And I thought that was a period where you really stood out as a citizen. Did you find that the system was resistant to the Concerned Veterans for America? Absolutely. What I didn't understand was the weight and the power of the establishment and federal institutions and bureaucracy and, frankly, the special interest groups that surround them and how much power they really have. So when Concerned Vets for America showed up and said, we had a basic proposition, and I got to tell your listeners how central you, Mr. Speaker, were to this. I mean, you came in with a huge shot in the arm for us encouraging us at a moment when we very much needed it. We came in with a simple proposition. What if we put the veteran at the center? What if we said the veteran has needs when they come home, wounds seen or unseen, and they should get the best care possible wherever that exists? If the government can provide it, fantastic. If not, then a vet should have access to all the networks of private care. If you live in Rochester, Minnesota, Right now, you have to drive to a VA facility. You can't go to the Mayo Clinic where Saudi princes fly to get their elective surgeries. It doesn't make sense. So if you're putting the vet first, let's build a process and a program that does just that and empowers them to choose. You expect Democrats who are invested in single-payer health care and government-run health care to be resistant. You expect the labor unions to be resistant because they're in bed with the bureaucracy. What was so new to me in a certain sense was how these veterans groups who were in Washington have been in Washington for years. I'm talking about your VFWs and your legions and your others that are there. Plenty of good people in those organizations. Again, the disconnect exists in those groups, right? The post level in my hometown, those vets totally agree with what we're talking about. It's the leadership in Washington, DC. You start to realize they've been there for decades. They value their access and invites to the White House Christmas party more than they do agitating for the very best for vets. And so we got ferocious incoming 
from other veterans groups basically trying to vote us off the island, saying, you guys don't count, you haven't been here, your ideas are disqualified, go away, to the point where they were actively trying to discredit us and smear us. And so we took the other approach of saying, we can't win that inside baseball game. We're going to go above it and beyond it as much as we can, try to educate presidential candidates. That was in 2015, 2016. So we did town halls with all the Republicans that were running for president, helping to get them familiar with the ideas we were advancing. Ironically, the one event we couldn't get scheduled was with President Trump. But thankfully, he's the one that launched on the most, thankfully, through our public advocacy, through the things we did on Fox, to these ideas. And we also went straight to vets themselves and made the case, wouldn't you like this basic opportunity to choose? And then finally, we put the plan together. We wrote a task force report, 100 pages. Normally, white papers in Washington are written, and then they go into the dustbin. We tried to make ours an active living document that we advanced and made the heart of everything that we did. And it was extremely well received because it was based on common sense. It was based on the idea that veterans are smart enough to choose. And it has become a centerpiece of what the president has advanced when it comes to the VA through holding people accountable and giving veterans a choice. It's still not perfect, but I think we did as close as you can do to being disruptive in a place that had seen static and stale thinking for 20, 25, 30, 40 years. That's just another $5 billion and the VA is going to be okay. And I think we helped show that there is an alternative to just the sort of bureaucratic groupthink, which dominates most of Washington, the bureaucracies that never want to change. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals, Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. 
like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On a summer night in Paris, American artist Lee Krasner is drifting off to sleep when the phone rings. On the line, news that her husband, Jackson, is dead. Jackson, as in the painter Jackson Pollock. He might, to this day, be the most mythologized figure in American art. But how much of the story that we've been told about him is just that, a myth? On Death of an Artist Season 2, Krasner and Pollock, the story about how the art world changed forever. And the story of the artist who reset the market for American abstract painting. Just maybe not the one you're thinking of. Listen to Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I thought it was amazing at the time the leadership of Concerned Veterans for America occurred at about the same pace at which the news media began to realize how many scandals there were in the VA around the country. Yeah. And so the VA itself was weakened in trying to defend itself, and the traditional veterans groups began, I think, to think that they had to sort of take a half step back where they would be discredited because the scandals were so amazing and so heartbreaking. And I think it created a space in which your leadership and the concerned veterans as a team, it's one of those magic moments that happens every once in a while in American history. And some serious things were achieved, reinforced by President Trump and his deep concern for the veterans. So when you came out of that, is that the point at which you ended up at Fox? Yes, sir. That is how I ended up landing on Fox. I had done television segments for years. My first one ever knew was on Hardball with Chris Matthews in 2007 about the Iraq war. And my Marine buddy who'd been on television once himself and therefore was an expert, gave me two pieces of advice. He said, lean forward because it looks better on camera and don't let him cut you off. Never let him cut you off. Well, 35 cutoffs later on Hardball, I survived my first segment. I just jumped right into the deep end on TV as an advocate. And I had been doing veterans and military commentary for years. It really did pick up around the VA and pick up at Fox News Channel. And then I started doing a weekly segment on a couple of different shows to include Fox and Friends. And then one day they just asked me, have you ever thought about asking the questions instead of answering them? And would you be open to doing some guest hosting? And so I gave it a shot and didn't utterly fail the first time. And so for me, being on television isn't the goal. For me, it is finding avenues in which to fight for God and country, to fight for the things that we believe in, and opening the door to a national television audience with a lot of influence, great guests. It just picked up from there. And then Tucker Carlson was actually the weekend 
Fox and Friends host for three years during that time period. And then he, of course, after the election, got the primetime slot and I was able to audition for it. And here we are today. So very much an accidental TV host, but grateful for the platform. You wrote a book in 2016. What inspired you to do that? My first book, In the Arena, I felt like I had had a lot of experience that had informed why I loved the country so much. I carried with me on the battlefield a plaque. I brought it with me every deployment I was on. It's a quote by Teddy Roosevelt in Paris, France from April of 1910. It's the quote, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. It's a very famous quote. And I carried it with me and put it up in whatever room or hooch or tent I was in as a reminder. And then I actually read the whole speech which is called Citizenship in a Republic. And I remember reading that speech from 1910. And this was Teddy Roosevelt after his presidency. So he's reflecting on America and American citizenship. And I remember thinking, that's it. This speech is what I want to say effectively. And so what I did is I took that speech as a frame and teased out of it the core themes and then weaved into it my own experiences. And it really comes down to the ingredients for what we need good citizens for a great republic, and it's the willingness to work for a living, the dignity of work, the willingness to fight by force of arms if necessary, fight to maintain your liberties and your freedoms. It's believing in something greater than yourself, having faith. I mean, that's central to freedom. Otherwise, you fill that vacuum with government. And then it's big patriotic families. Demographics really matter and how you teach the next generation is essential. Effectively, those are the basic ingredients of good citizens, which is what is required to keep a republic great. And I weave in a lot of personal stories from Iraq and some of the things that we did with Vets for Freedom on Capitol Hill. And that came out in 2016. I'm really proud of it, a project that I poured myself into, but that was right at the beginning of my time at Fox. I knew four years later, it was very much time for an update. One of the more amazing things I've lived through, late in his life, I went to New York to seek some advice from Richard Nixon. He had great advice, knew a great deal about the business of politics, and he'd been a House Republican in 46 to 50. And very funny because he said to me at one point, the House Republicans are boring. When I was there, they were boring. You're never going to get to be a majority if you're boring. So I was taking all these notes. (laughs) And the last thing, just before I left, he said, I want to read you something. And he pulled up that quote from Theodore Roosevelt. And you could see how much, given what he had been through, the pain of Watergate, losing in 60, losing in 62, the extraordinary comeback in 68, one of the largest majorities in American history in 72, and then the collapse during Watergate. You can sort of see how much he identified with the man in the arena and the whole sense that Theodore Roosevelt talked about. It was a really a remarkable moment. So I sympathize totally with your relating so strongly to that. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On a summer night in Paris, American artist Lee Krasner is drifting off to sleep when the phone rings. On the line, news that her husband, Jackson, is dead. Jackson, as in the painter Jackson Pollock. He might, to this day, be the most mythologized figure in American art. But how much of the story that we've been told about him is just that, a myth? On Death of an Artist, season two, Krasner and Pollock, the story about how the art world changed forever and the story of the artist who reset the market for American abstract painting. Just maybe not the one you're thinking of. Listen to Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I get the impression when you're out on the road and we're having breakfast with you, you really are at home walking into any diner in America and sitting down and having some pancakes and chatting with the local folks and that you kind of get a kick out of it. It's true. I love it. I think it's the best assignment in television. It energizes me. It reminds me of the goodness of the American people. I call it common sense wisdom. And I love it. I can't get enough of it. It's why I think the segments are great. We spend so much time in the bubble, so much time with the elite media and all that worldview on the coast. They look down on and ignore these voices. I think these are the most important and powerful voices. So we're sitting there, we're talking to truck drivers, talking to 
pastors, we're talking to teachers, we're talking to guys that do construction, you know, and they're sharing what they're dealing with or how they view the president or how they view what the Democrats are doing. I'm glad that comes across because there's no better assignment. I think there's value in getting that information out there very much so. I mean that phrase, common sense wisdom, because there is such a lack of common sense in basic decency in the way that the elites view the masses. That part of the conversation is so badly needed. I think you clearly have learned a lot by going around the country in addition to what you've done as a soldier, what you've done as a citizen activist. And all of that has led you to write American Crusade, Our Fight to Stay Free. Why did you decide that you had to write this? What are you trying to say to the American people? Thank you, Newt. I want to say this. I don't know that anything I write in the book hasn't already been written by you or by other people who I consider absolute crusaders for the cause of freedom. I stand on the shoulders of giants and want to just make my humble contribution. What I did was I felt the need to write the book because my view of our republic was so changed and shaken over the last four years and clarified. And a lot of it has to do, of course, with the 2016 election. Chapter two starts with, my name is Pete Hexeth, and I was almost an ever Trumper. And sort of this admission of where we were on our politics and how we viewed the battle that's ongoing with the left and what a wake-up call Donald Trump was to those of us who maybe considered ourselves conservatives or the establishment. I talk about my Trump conversion moments and growing a Trump spine and all of the things that he has clarified both for how we should fight, but also revealed the depth of the depravity of the American left and how committed they are to the destruction of the values of our country. And that's why they're so committed to the destruction of Donald Trump is because he speaks to the ancient virtues that have made America special and made America great, and they hate him for it. The point of the book is to say our backs are against the wall. We won a political miracle in 2016 of epic proportions. The left seeks our destruction. And if they can take the political sphere, they will have captured every sphere, meaning they've already captured our educational spheres and our cultural spheres, our social media, most of our churches, our businesses and the woke culture that exists there, Hollywood, Silicon Valley, even the military has these deep threads of political correctness that Obama has injected into it, that politics, it feels like maybe the last quarter in which patriots are winning with Donald Trump's election in 2016. And I think this upcoming election in 2020 will be a huge indicator as to whether or not our country is headed toward the direction of decline, of death, of divorce as a people, or whether we're on the beginning of a new dawn because enough patriots were able to overcome the pure hatred of the elites and the media types who are all in the tank for what the Democrats are selling, which is socialism. I think this is one of the most impactful elections in American history. Just astonishingly important. When you actually look at the trajectory of our country and how far the left has taken us in the wrong direction, Donald Trump's ability to win in 2020 will be a huge indicator to me. The book is also not just about politics. A crusade, it's a holy war for the righteous cause of freedom. 
And it's going to require some very direct, radical measures as patriots to stand up to and reverse the tide. If we want to save our country, there's nowhere else to sail to. And America, if it doesn't represent freedom, has lost why it is so special. Now, have you always felt this passionately about freedom? The answer is yes. But I would argue that the last four years have teased out in a more visceral way the extent to which the left is prepared to crush our freedom. And I break down through part two of the book all the isms, globalism, eroding national sovereignty, genderism, the idea that we're indoctrinating kids with the idea of toxic masculinity and there is no male and female socialism, which is the ultimate control, secularism, which is ripping God out of every part of our public life, environmentalism. The ultimate way to control us is, of course, believing that the world's going to end in 10 years. And so everything has to radically change. Elitism. I went to Princeton and Harvard. I know how these folks think and how condescending they are to that common sense wisdom and how much they want to use political correctness to squelch the ability to speak freely. Islamism. Islam is the most evangelical and the most aggressive philosophy on the planet. And so when you start to break it all down, you realize we're surrounded and the Democrats have adopted this. Leftism has become the doctrine of the left. And it's not hard to defend because they're defending the indefensible. When you distill down what the American experiment is all about, and that's an interesting topic in this COVID-19 moment, is are we free or not? And that's the central question of what we need to preserve. The other thing I'm struck by that you really have in you is this combination of being very successful in athletics, going to Princeton and Harvard, serving in the U.S. military, and yet somehow you've stayed in touch with ground realities in a way that's, I think, very hard for a lot of people. Do you think there's any particular secret to that? Is there a secret? I don't know. I loathe the idea of privilege. I loathe the idea of the elitist mentality. I don't want any part of that world. I only want to be centered on things that really matter and on the basic values that are good and right and true. I grew up around those types of people. I served with them. You know, I'd say in the book, I went to college with millionaires and then I showed up in the military with hundredaires. I'm drawn toward it. I have sort of a reflexive blue collar streak and love for people that work hard for a living and provide at a basic level. It's just kind of in who I am. And that's why I love the ability to crisscross the country with Fox and Friends. But also something I write about in the book is it's not just Fox and Friends. We've done nationwide bus tours for Vets for Freedom and Concerned Veterans for America. For years, we were crisscrossing the country on buses trying to galvanize vets flying to events all over in swing states, all across the country, and then giving speeches and all of that. When you spend time and just hours and hours and hours talking to people, you get a good sense of what they really care about. And it's usually not the nonsense that we obsess about in other circles. So there's an entire disconnect. And Donald Trump has only amplified that because he's given voice to those people and they feel empowered to talk. And like they have a champion. And if I can be a co-champion with them to amplify that voice, it's something I take very seriously. So listen, I answer emails when people send them. 
if people get my number and text me, I try to get back to them. I keep in touch with all my military buddies who during the middle of shows are live texting me. You absolutely butchered that. That's not what people are thinking. And I value that a lot more than sort of insider information. Listen, I like having access and getting the latest information, but I try to guard the fact of giving voice to the voiceless. I want to remind all of our listeners, order American Crusade, our fight to stay free, and you'll be doing your part to help America move in the right direction. Pete, I just cannot thank you enough for taking the time to come and talk with me today. Mr. Speaker, thank you so much for having me. Thank you to my guest, Pete Hexa. You can read an excerpt of American Crusade on our show page at newtsworld.com. I want to wish all of you a great Memorial Day weekend. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers, and our producer is Garnsey Sloan. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. Please email me with your questions at gingrich360.com slash questions. I'll answer them in future episodes. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. On the next episode of Newt's World, within the past week, large earthquakes have been striking all along the outer rim of the Pacific Ocean, and many are wondering if all of this activity could potentially be building up to something really big. We'll discuss the series of large earthquakes rocking the ring of fire. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Every Day Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You may know Jackson Pollock, the painter famous for his iconic drip paintings. But what do you know about his wife, artist Lee Krasner? On Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock, the story of the artist who reset the market for American abstract painting, just maybe not the one you're thinking of. 
Listen to Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.